And Lord, uh, we thank you, Jesus, for coming for me, coming for all these that are before me today, for the whole of humanity, Lord, you came. And Lord, we're just so grateful for that this morning. It's our prayer, Lord, that our mind is just focused upon you, Jesus. Lord, as we've been through the book of Revelations now for quite some time, Lord, it's just my prayer, God, that, Lord, that it would put such a <coughs> sufficient burden in our heart for our families that are lost, our friends that may be lost, Lord, our neighbors who may be lost, maybe that little girl at the checkout counter at Publix who may be lost. Lord, that you would put a burden in our heart. Help us to have a soul consciousness for other people's lives. Lord, you put us here to bring glory to your name. And Lord, the greatest way we can bring glory to your name is to share your name with somebody else. <laughs> Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you give us, Father, Lord, to make much of you and less of ourselves. It's all about you, Jesus. I thank you for your sweet spirit here. Lord, we have a nation who is just missing it. They're missing you. And I pray, God, that the nations of the world, we know that one day, when it's too late, they're going to, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. But Lord, until that time comes, help us to be diligent to spread the gospel far and wide. And Lord, we just give you praise and glory for what you're going to do in your house today. Use us for your glory. Let your word just speak to our hearts. And Lord, we're just so grateful for it today. Lord, use my lips. Lord, speak through me this morning, God. Lord, I don't know what everybody's going through, but I pray, God, that this would be an encouragement for each and every one today. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. I thank you for everything that you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Thank you so much. You got your little note sheets in there, so you can I'll always say get your pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, and you can write them on in the notes and fill in those notes there. It'll be good for you to kind of peruse that throughout the week, think about, meditate on it a little bit. Um, uh, we've been in Revelations for over a year now, and uh, we have finally reached chapter 19. Hallelujah, right? So we've been hearing a lot about judgment since... Um, chapter 6 on through uh, chapter 18. Lots and lots of judgment. I think there's a reason why there is so much judgment uh, that we get to read and learn about. Uh, that it should burden our hearts for the lost. Amen? It should burden our hearts for our family members and our friends and those that don't know who you are. Or it would cause us, a, uh, maybe there would be an unction with inside that the Holy Spirit would unction you uh, to share Jesus with somebody. And share his sacrifice, share his burial, share his resurrection, share who he is and what he's done. Share Jesus' story through your own individual story, through your story. How did he save you? Share that. We've done that here online. Danny has really get put a, he's put a few of our um, uh, three-minute uh, testimony kind of time that we've had. and, and uh, uh, But online at b3hillschurch.com, you can go on there and 
You can see all the archive message, catch up with Revelation. You can look at the, uh, the testimonies that some of our members have brought forth down here in front. And I just thank the Lord for that. You know, when I think about Revelation, I can't help but think also about not only Jesus, but I think about the Apostle John. Apostle John, man, I think about it. He was, remember, remember at the Last Supper, he was the one who was reclined with his head in the bosom of Jesus, remember? They said that he was like probably the youngest one of all of them, you know? But here's the one, he was the only one that was at the cross. Let that resonate in your heart. He wasn't like the rest of them who were hiding out in a secured locked room, <laughs> fearful for their own lives. But there he was. And Jesus took notice of that, so much so that he would look down at John and say, John, here, take a hold of your mother. In other words, take care of my mama. <laughs> and it said that John did that the rest of his days until she passed. He took care of Jesus' mama as if it was his own mama. John writes these scriptures in here, and he tells us, he tells us why he writes Revelation, why he writes uh, the books of John, the letters of John, why, why he wrote the book of John and the letters of John. He says in John 20, verse 31, think about this. This isn't on the screen. He says, in John 20, 31, he said, these things, he says, have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We read these so that we would have life in his name. And it's in his name alone that we have life. There's no other name that we can have life in except for the name of Jesus. So if you've never... If you've never had a moment in your past where you said yes to Jesus and no to yourself and no to your sin and confessed your sin and repented, turned away from your sin and chased after God, listen, you need to do that today. These words are written so that you may have life everlasting. In 1 John 5.13, he kind of says it again. He reiterates it in his letters. He said, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you ha may have life in his name, but that you have, know that you have eternal life. I love that because when Jesus saves us, he doesn't save us for a moment. He doesn't save us for an hour. He doesn't save us for a week. He saves, it, saves us for all time and eternity. Amen. You are secured in the living Lord Jesus Christ forever. He seals you with his blood until the day that he takes us all home. What an encouragement is that for us, right? John wants all of us to have assurance here this morning. How many of you have assurance this morning? Amen. That's good. This was a major goal of the writing of these books and letters to the church. But there's another reason. And the reason is found in 3 John 1.4. John himself would say this. He says, I have no greater joy than this. He has no greater joy than this. To, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Are you walking in the truth this morning? Excuse me. Are you walking in the truth? I pray this morning that this would be a, such an encouragement to you. 
We've been hearing a lot of judgment, judgment, judgment. And it's true. Our God is a just God. And judgment is coming for the lost people of the world. That's why we need to get busy. But today we're going to be looking at five reasons for heaven's rejoicing. Amen? Amen. But we're also going to look at the, a little bit of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. That's encouraging. Because who's going to be there? We in Jesus are going to be there. We're going to experience the fullness of it. And I can't even bring it to the level of what you can understand it because I don't understand it all. It's going to be the most beautiful, wonderful, exquisite thing that we're ever going to experience in our life as believers in Jesus Christ. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And we don't hear about this enough. Although we practice things all the time in our world, we practice marriages all the time in our world, but yet this message right here somehow has gotten missing from the wedding ceremonies that we perform today. So today, I want you to just kind of fasten your seatbelts as we go through. We're going to talk about the rejoicing in heaven. And I want you to think about your position. Where are you going to be? <laughs> If you're a believer, we know that you're going to be there with Jesus. So everything that we talk about today, you and I as believers in Jesus, we're going to experience that. So man, just absorb it. Take it all in this morning. Let the Word of God water you. And water you so full that it comes up and it spills out. And when it spills out, you know what it's going to do? It's going to touch somebody else's life. Be so full of Jesus this morning. That's why I say spend daily time with the Lord. Get so full of Jesus that he has to come out. It has to affect the lives of people that are around you. Man, in your countenance, your conduct, your character, your conversations, that Jesus is preeminent in everything. That you are sold out. You have exchanged your life for his life. And it's what he wants you to do. It's how you live your life for the rest of your life. Amen? We need to do that. Open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to start off in verse 1. In verse 1. He says here, After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. And they were saying what? Hallelujah! Right? (laughs) I can imagine us, if we were in heaven right now, we wouldn't say it like that. (laughs) Amen? Hallelujah! And then he says, Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Listen, there's only one God. One true God. There's only one God in the entirety of the world and the universe. One God. And it's Jehovah Jireh. It's Jehovah Nisi. It's Jehovah. He is our banner. He is everything. He is our provider. He is our help. There's only one God. And he's in you and he's with you upon you if you know him as Savior this morning. The power of God, the power of the universe dwells inside of us as believers this morning. And I want you just to understand that this morning. All right, so number one, our salvation at this point in time is now complete. The end of Babylon, the end of everything, we're at the end of the seven years of tribulation. And how we're looking, we're in heaven, we're... We're taken from, we're off the earth, we're looking into heaven this morning. John is taking us into heaven where we will be with Jesus. And so we're going to be with him in heaven and we're going to experience these things. 
So our salvation will be now complete. You know, your salvation now is not exactly fully complete. You know that? You're like, what? No, truthfully. Listen, you're positionally, you're saved, you're sealed, you're going to heaven, right? But progressively, as you live your life, Jesus is getting you prepared and getting you ready, getting you ready for that time that he comes back to take his church home. We are being changed and we are being sanctified. We're sanctified in Christ positionally when we trust Christ as our Savior. That's a done deal. You're sealed, baby. That's it. You're going to heaven. But God wants to use you and make you useful for the world here to reach out to people with the, with the message that He is entrusting into us to share, to be good stewards of the gospel so that we go out and share it. We share it and we share it. And to do that, we have to be trained in righteousness. We've got to be trained in the Word. I've got to be trained. Every day, we all be trained. We're, we're forever learners of who God is and what His Word teaches us. I still learn. I pray that you are still learning and you're making an attempt that you're, you're, you're excited about learning more about who God is, the one that saved you. Amen. I pray that you do that. Our salvation will be complete on that day that we breathe our last breath and we stand in His presence and then we'll be finally fully complete in Jesus, perfected in His presence. Amen? What a day. And that's coming for each and every one of us that know Him. Amen. It's important. So this first hallelujah speaks of redemption. Speaks of salvation. Redemption. He has redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. Only Jesus brings us salvation. Only. There's only one way. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by who? Jesus. Jesus. There's only one way. And the world has an issue with that. Sometimes churches have issues with that. There's only one way. There's not multiple ways. There's only one way. And the way is the cross of Jesus. And what he did for you. In fact, Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, it says, For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's an absolute only one way, and it's through Jesus. Here's a new vision in this first verse for John in chapter 19, when he talks about after these things. So what we're looking at right now, the verses 1 through 10, is a prelude to Jesus coming back to set up his kingdom. This is the prelude up to verse 10. And then, and then and to Jesus' return, right? That's 11 through the remaining verses that deals with his return. The scene here that we see in chapter 19 takes place following the destruction of the city of Babylon, which we took the last couple Sundays to go over. Amen? Amen. Remember Babylon, the false religion? Babylon, the commercial, uh, uh, the commercial city of the world, the one world system? And it was destroyed. And we're finally going to see vindication here this morning in these, in these verses. And so then, and then there's this the, what will I say, the triumphal entry, or should I say the triumphal return of Jesus Christ to the earth, right? He's coming back a second time. He is coming back in uh, 1911-21, and prior to the millennial reign of Christ in chapter 20, which we'll get to eventually. He says in this verse, this loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. 
there was a loud voice of a great multitude. Think of all the multitudes or millions and upon millions of angels praising the Lord, singing hallelujah. It'll be deafening. It'll be unimaginable. It's unimaginable. I can't even think of how many angels that there really are. None of us really know. But we know it's going to be a lot. Amen? That's going to be a noisy place. You hear me? It's going to be a good noise, though. It's going to be one that you're going to forever want to hear. Amen? Amen. So much so it is. They say, they say and, and listen, they're talking about hallelujah. With a loud voice, the angel chorus opens with praise. You will see four hallelujahs in these scriptures as we go through them. There's four of them. And hallelujah in the Greek literally means to praise God. To praise God. That's what hallelujah is. In the Greek, in the Hebrew, same word. Same thing. Same thing universal in our language. Hallelujah. You ever listen to Handel's Messiah? <laughs> love that. I love that. And these hallelujahs you will see only, think about this, uh, this is the only place you see them in the New Testament. Is right here in Revelation. They're in the Old Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, it also expresses praise for God's judgment. Hallelujah on the wicked oppressors of his people. So why does heaven rejoice? Why does heaven rejoice? Salvation has come for all of God's people. Amen? Now the salvation of every person as believers is to be complete. This is the glorification of who? Of the saints in Christ's kingdom. God's great power that belongs to God is put on display for the world, the universe to see. We will be His trophies in heaven. The redeemed of the Lord. God's great power that belongs to God is put on display. This imminent coming of Christ brings the praising of these angels, anticipating the glory of God's great kingdom. It's finally going to happen. How long that we have waited. We've heard these verses resonate through the book of Revelation, the martyred saints. So the first thing is salvation is now complete. It's a done deal. Number two, justice is served. Justice is served. Look at verse two. Verse two, because his judgments are true and righteous. What are they, folks? True and righteous. His judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. Look, God's judgments are always true, and they're always righteous. They are in perfect standing every single time, because he's a perfect God. Everything we have read and now experienced, listen, it screams truth. The entirety of our scripture is all truth. There's no confusion. It's all truth. Every bit of it. It's like Pilate. Remember Pilate said about Jesus? What did he say about Jesus? He says, "Let him. I find no fault in Jesus. Did he not say that? I find no fault in Jesus, right? But then at the same time, Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Now think about this for a minute. He's asking Jesus, what is truth, right? And the whole time he's standing there, what's he looking at? The truth. Isn't that amazing? 
yet he could not see it. He could not even. Listen, a lot of folks in our world today are the same way, no different than Pilate. They can't see the truth, and it'd be staring them right. It's beating them over the head. You can beat them over the head all you want to with this, with the word, and they don't see it. You need to pray for God to open up the minds and the eyes of people to see the truth of his word. That's why it's important to pray. Ask God to use you to open the minds and the hearts of the people and the truth so they can hear the truth and understand the truth. How else do we know it is true? Just look at Babylon, the harlot. She was destroyed. This was Satan's and Antichrist's system which seduced the unbelieving world to believe the greatest of all lies. Everything is pointing that we see in our world to globalism, a one world order, globalism. Let's get the money system all under one thing. Let's get everything under one thing, agriculturally everything, one thing. We're going to share everything. We're going to be diverse. Everybody's going to be the same. Nobody's going to be different. Let's get all our health care under one system. Let's do all these things under one thing. Globalism is what the world, the lost world, is seeking towards. And it's placed right in the hand of who? Babylon, the Antichrist, Satan. That's Satan. That's what, and it's going to happen. Folks, it's going to happen. God's Word tells us it's going to happen. And so whatever God says is going to happen, it's going to happen. But it doesn't mean we give up. It doesn't mean we stop sharing Christ. It means we do it with a fervor. Like trying to snatch somebody from a car wreck that's trapped inside their vehicle. You wouldn't stand there and watch them. You'd probably go over there and try to rip their hinges off of the door just to get them out. Even if it meant your own life. That's the attitude we should have with our world today and our system today. People in our world today. Another reason for the judgment was also the mistreatment of God's people. Are we going to be mistreated? Yes. But we haven't seen it to the level that our first century folks uh, seen it, when Nero would burn them at the stake and light his courtyards. But there are places globally where people are treated that way. Many more today than there were even back then. There's so many more people today. We're 8 billion strong. And we're, and we're climbing all along. Vengeance for God's people is taught in the Word of God. God is a God of vengeance. Yes, He's a God of love. Sometimes we get so stuck on the sweet little Jesus baby boy, Jesus so sweet and so nice and so loving and so kind. We don't see that he is also a just God and he brings judgment. He's going to bring judgment to the world. In Deuteronomy 32, 39 through 43, listen. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. So he establishes that right up front. He says, it is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal." And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. This is a powerful God, I'm telling you. One God. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven and say as I live forever, if I sharpen my flat, flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries and I will repay those who hate me. 
He says in 42, I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword will devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy. 43, rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on the adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. Amen. The third reason for joy in heaven, number three, is the rebellion has ended. The rebellion has ended. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, and a second time they said what? Let me hear it, church. That's so much better. That's awesome. (laughs) Hallelujah, right? Amen. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. The rebellion has ended. At this point. No more rebellion. Jesus ain't putting up with it no more. It's over. Right? It's over big boy, big girl that doesn't trust Jesus. That tries to run from Jesus. I never understood that. Because Jesus represents. When you read the scriptures. He represents everything that is good in life. Everything that is good. Jesus represents. Yet we try to run from him. People of the world runs from him. Satan does blind the minds and the eyes of people so they won't see the truth. See, we see here a second hallelujah. It represents the righteous retribution of God. You remember in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11? Remember the fifth seal of the martyrs? It said, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? See, during the seven years of tribulation, many people are going to die for their faith in Christ. The blood is going to be spilled. To accept the mark, to not accept the mark, is going to be a death sentence for everybody who doesn't accept the mark of the beast. It's a death sentence. And you're going to die. You're going to be martyred. But it's a, listen, but God has something so special for the martyred saints in heaven. So special. Verse 11 says, And there was given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer during this tribulation period until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So... And in chapter 6, there was even more death coming to saints of God. But listen, we have vindication here. The aftermath of Babylon's judgment brings total destruction. And it brings the second hallelujah. Remember, all the unbelievers of sinners that were mourning over their cities. Destructed from last week. When I talked about that last week. All the mourners of the people, the unbelievers, were mourning these cities that were being destroyed. Her smoke is rising forever and ever. This is irreversible judgment. There's, you can't reverse it. It's irreversible judgment. It's a done deal. Hey, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? You remember that? Genesis 19.28. Might want to write that down. 19.28. Abraham was looking from where he stood before the Lord. He was looking down at Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And it says here, And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Here we have Babylon, the most powerful city in all of human history, and the end of human rule on the planet when it's destroyed. There's no more human rule after that. Think about that rebellion that first came in the Garden of Eden. It will finally be ended here with Babylon. Think about it. There will be one more revolt that we will see in the next chapter. Then it will be forever over. Amen? Amen. Forever over. There will be finally no more false religions or any more injustices. Now there's a fourth reason for the joy. Fourth reason for the joy, number four, God is in control. Amen? Aren't you glad God's in control? I pray God's in control of every aspect of your life, your living. I pray He controls your sleeping at night. I pray He controls your body, everything that works and doesn't work. I pray He controls everything, that He works on everything. I pray He controls your thoughts, your heart, your attitudes. I pray He controls everything. That's what being a Christian is. It's exchanging your life for His life. You're to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit isn't what you produce. It's what Jesus produces in and through you. The love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful, gentleness, self-control. Oh, self-control is a biggie. I like, I like, I like staying on self-control because Lord knows I need self-control every single day. Amen? amen? I get a good amen on that one, right? We need self-control. Well, listen, Jesus gives it liberally to you. That's it. That's His attribute. It's not yours. It's His. He gives it to you. He gives you the power and the strength to overcome anything and everything in and through your life. To keep you close and accountable to Him. To keep you going down that straight road, living for Jesus, making the most of Jesus in your life. I just want to encourage you to do that. He's in control. Look at verse 4. He says, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God. God who sits on the throne saying what? Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. I love that. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bond servants. Hey, that's you and me. This is where we come in with the multitudes. See, before we didn't come in with the angels that were praising God, right? We weren't doing it. We were kind of watching, probably in awe, going, you know. And so here we are now. We are included in this right here. All his bonds are you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah. <laughs> hey, y'all get it. All right. Amen. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. You better, better get it because, you know, you're going to be saying that for a lot up in heaven. You hear me? That's what I'm talking about. That's going to be a lot. Amen, sister. Me too, sister. We'll never get tired in heaven. Amen? That's going to be awesome, man. Listen, the third hallelujah, this is what it is right now. It's the greatness of God. The third hallelujah is the greatness of God. He's in control. This is where we join in the celebration in heaven, you and I. All the saints of God, past, present, and future, the rich and the poor, those that had those that never had. There's those that have and those that never had, right? Amen? I've always said that the foot of the cross is what kind of ground? 
level ground. We certainly celebrate, amen? I was thinking about this. When the rich and the poor get together with the Lord, get together, get together with the Lord, they will treat each other like sister and brother when they all get together with the Lord. Think about it. When we all get together, when we all get together with the Lord, they will treat each other like sister and brother when we all get together with the Lord. Amen? Amen. That's what we're going to do. Man, let's make sure we practice it here, right? Let's let's practice it, practice it. Every day it should be. Man, we're sisters and brothers in Jesus. That's why I call you brother and sister. Sister Jennifer is sitting back there. That's why I call her Sister Jennifer. Brother Larry. Good to see you, Brother Larry. We're sisters and brothers. These hallelujahs ring out from other heavenly residents we've been introduced to before. Think about the 24 elders. They're representatives of the church in heaven. The four living creatures, right? They are the cherubim or the high-ranking order of angels that sit in heaven. That's who they are. They stretch out. Listen, they stretch out prostrate before the throne of God. Get that picture. They're prostrate before the throne of God and they cry out, Amen, and they cry out, Hallelujah! You ever been prostrate before the Lord? Try it. If you've never been prostrate for the Lord, I know, it feels awkward, right? I know, I get it. That's why we need to do it. Buddy, you're going to do it when you get to heaven. I can't imagine. Listen, Jesus just popped in this room literally right now. Physically, where you could see him, right? What would you do? Woo! Two things. You're going to make a new doorway? Or you're going to get on your face before the Lord? We try it, Lord? Man, it's going to be, I'm telling you, we're going to have, it's going to be a time in heaven. The voice in heaven here is an angel's voice calling another group to join him in praise. That's what it is. It says, Give praise to our God, all you as bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. These are the redeemed bondservants of the Lord. Small and great, it means all groups of people, all the redeemed, are called to praise him. I think that's a pretty good deal for all the sin that we committed, that he washes it away and we get to praise him for all eternity. I'm sure that these voices added with the angels was tremendous sound to John. Imagine what John was listening to. A deafening level. Very loud, like many waters, it said, and many peals of thunder. Man, you ever sit at home and just listen to thunder when it's rolling off the coast here? You know, people in North Carolina don't hear that. People in Georgia don't hear that. People don't hear that. But we live close enough to the water. When them storms are out there off that gulf, you know they're coming, right? You know they're on their way. I sat there in my house and just, just hear him rumble. You ever heard that? Man, can you imagine a thousand times more than that in heaven? Peals of thunder. Thunder's a frightening thing. It brought me to my knees one day out here in the churchyard. I was walking around my vehicle next to this um, power pole over here. 
And that lightning popped right on top. Man, I fell right to my knees, man. I'm like, because I'm, I'm a tall fella, you know what I mean? I'm like a, I'm like a walking lightning ride, okay, you know? And so, uh, and when I'm in a crowd, like when I've gone, used to go to Disney World, I used to go to Disney World, I don't go there anymore. I used to go to Disney World, you know, I'd be like, I'm 6'6", six, six, I'm, I'm like a head over, and them storms would come, buddy, this old boy was looking for shelter, you hear me? And everybody else was huddling up around me, you know, who <laughs> I get struck, right? And they don't get struck, right? It used to be like that. Listen, when I was in the Air Force, I remember landing. I landed one time, and I'm digressing here. I went into Tule Greenland. Tule Greenland is pretty far north, you know what I mean? And we landed in the middle of a blizzard at night, right? So we landed there. I don't know how we landed, but we did. It was, a, it was like a blizzard. I got off the airplane. It was cold, and the snow was like blowing sideways. So I get off. We're all going in to base ops to the snack bar to get some coffee and a burger or something like that. It's been a long day. And I'm out there, and I mean, it's like the wind is like gusting, it's going up, freezing. Because, you know, I was lived in the south. I went up in Thule, Greenland, where it's below zero, freezing. And I'm going across this ramp at night, and it's freezing, and I'm going. And I said, I don't see nobody. I look behind me, and the whole crew is lined up behind me. I couldn't believe it. You know what I did? I started zigzagging. <laughs> we just busted out. We just busted out laughing. Serpentine, serpentine, serpentine. <laughs> anyway, that's what we did. Crazy, isn't it? isn't it crazy? Crazy things we do, right? For entertainment. The deafening level of the peals of thunder and like many waters rushing. The next one we have, we had the fourth and the final hallelujah represents God's omnipotent power. God's omnipotent power. You believe he rules? He reigns? He's in charge, right? He alone, by his power, he rules and reigns. So think about those four hallelujahs. Four hallelujahs right there. First one speaks of what? Redemption. Second one speaks of righteous retribution. The third one speaks of the greatness of God. And then hallelujah speaks of God's power. The last one is omnipotence. And the next we move on to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. The marriage, number five, the marriage supper of the Lamb is completed. It is completed. Excuse me. I don't know. This always does this to me when I'm up here. Never anywhere else. Anyway, I just, you know, I guess I'm just too emotional, right? Revelation 19, verse 7. Let's read it together. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to who? To Him, Jesus. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride, hey, that's us, folks, that's us, right? Has, listen, has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the who? The saints. That's us, folks, right? And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And then John said, I fell at his feet to worship <laughs> this angel, right? But he said to me, Do not do that. Because, you know, I'm a fellow servant of yours, John, and your brethren. Listen, who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. 
So here John's falling at the feet of an angel, right? And he says, get up. Don't do that. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy. Here we have heavenly praise continuing right here. Bringing God the glory he deserves for the marriage of the Lamb. Marriages, especially back then, were the single greatest celebration and social event of the biblical world. Amen? They were. They were a big deal to the Jews. Somehow today, I was thinking about this, we have skewed the intent of the wedding ceremony. And in most every case, it seems like today, we never see that true picture of what a wedding is supposed to represent. We really don't. When's the last time you went to a wedding? It was all about who? The bride and the groom. Did you ever get a thought for what we're fixing to talk about here? Who's the groom? Who's the groom to us? Jesus. What are we? I want you, next time you go to a wedding, I don't want you to look at it the same way anymore. All right? I want you to think about this picture we're fixing to paint for you right now. We've skewed it. Why? Because the sin in the world, we allowed the sin of the world to creep in. We've allowed it. Think about the days of church weddings. How many church weddings do you see anymore? No, they're either a barn wedding or a farm wedding or somebody's house wedding or by the lake wedding or by, you don't see them. In, in a beautiful place, who would want not to have a wedding in the church? You know why? Because it reminds them of a holy God who's going to judge the living and the dead one day. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a wedding outside the church. Make sure God's the focus and the center point of your weddings. Amen. He's the one that instituted it, marriage to begin with. Between a man and a woman. You hear me? A man and a woman for life. A man and a woman for life. We have so missed it in our swirl today. The ceremony, if there is one in many cases in the world, is far removed from what it should be spiritually speaking. We don't even think about this picture that I'm fixing to paint for you all and what the wedding represents. And it's a real shame, it is. Here in the scripture is the greatest of all celebrations since time began and will never be again. This is going to happen once and for all time forever. This marriage supper of the Lamb is an event that's going to be the most holiest event ever, ever, ever of all weddings ever. This is going to be the most holiest one. You know, the Jewish wedding is a great example of this picture of the way the Jews used to do it. I'm not so sure they do it today this way anymore. And I want you to write down the list. There's four things that happen. First one is the betrothal. The betrothal. It's an engagement. The betrothal is an engagement. Young people, think about this. It's a legally binding, it's legally binding when they're betrothed. Like Mary and Joseph were betrothed when they rode in the donkey to come into uh, Jerusalem, to Bethlehem. It's legally, contractually, it's a covenant, and it's legally binding. 
And it is set up by both sets of parents. The parents set up the wedding for each other, for their son and daughter. The parents set it up. Contracting the marriage for their children. That's what they do. And when this takes place, the betrothal, the only way it could be ever broken is through divorce. By divorce. Matthew 1, verses 18 and 19 tells you that. Now, you and I as believers are under contract or covenant to Jesus. You and I right now as believers in Jesus Christ, we're betrothed to Him. You're born again. You're legally, contractually, you are covenantly married to Jesus. We're just waiting for this time when He comes back to get us, right? But listen to how this goes in the Jewish wedding. We are, listen, we are contract as believers, not by the letter of the law, but by grace and the mercy through faith in God, faith in Jesus himself. You and I are sealed one time and for all time with the groom, Jesus. We are now sealed. If you're a believer, you are sealed to the day of redemption, Ephesians 1, 13, 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, right? You've got to hear the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed in it, put yourself in it, put your life in Jesus, put your trust in Jesus, believe in Him. He says you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to uh, the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So there's the betrothal part. Number two. In the Jews' wedding, the groom, in the in Jews, right? They're, they're be, so here the couple is, they're betrothed. The second thing that happens is once that happens, the groom then returns to the father's house. This is what happened. The groom goes back to the father's house. Once the betrothed, once the contract takes place, he goes back to the father's house. The groom goes back to dad's house, separated from his bride, and it could be as long as 12 months, separated from his bride. Why? Why? Because he, the groom, is busy preparing his house and home for his bride. Amen? That's what he's doing. The, the, the groom is preparing his house for his bride. Does that sound familiar? Man, think about this. That's right. John 14, 2 and 3. Listen. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to what? To prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, guess what? I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Think about this. So listen. Let not your heart be troubled. That's verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled, church. Right? We are betrothed to Christ. He goes away to prepare a place for all of us. He is doing that right now. Right now He is doing that for you and for me. Why? Why is He doing that? Because He's coming again. He's coming back. He's coming again for you and for me. To bring us all home. Amen? To bring us home. To be with Him forever. (laughs) Let's look at the next part of the Jewish wedding. Ready? The groom comes for his bride. That's the next part. He comes for his bride. 
Jewish tradition says the groom comes for his bride, but this is a big but, hear me. Why? Because the bride has no clue when the groom is coming. In the Jewish wedding, the bride has no idea, has no inkling of when he knows he's coming, but doesn't know when he's coming. So here's the question. So what is vitally important for the bride? Are you ready? Is the bride ready? Are we ready? He's coming. He's coming for us. He's getting our house ready. I can hardly wait to see it. How about you, right? I can hardly wait to see it. I, I met a gentleman one time. He was like he was like 77 years old, something like that. But I was talking to him about, we were talking about heaven. Somewhere up in Tennessee, up in the mountain somewhere, this and that. He made a statement to me, he says to me. He says, he says you know what? There ain't very many bricks left. To go into my home, my room, up in heaven before I get to go. I thought, that's a great picture. So, listen, let not your heart be troubled. A lot of our houses are almost complete. Right? This world's not our home. We're passing through it, right? We're just passing through. But listen, folks, right here. The groom comes for his bride. This is the rapture of the church. We're going to be taken out of here. The bride of Christ, we're going to be taken up to be with him. Are we ready this morning? 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. Listen, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now there's another step in this Jewish wedding. <laughs> Number four, the groom takes the bride to his father's house. Why? Why do you think the church is what do you think the church is doing while we wait? We're going to be during the tribulation period, we're not going to be here. Listen, we are not going to be here for the wrath that is to come. The, the Word of God, we, we studied that and went through that. The wrath is not meant for the believers. The wrath is meant for the unbelievers. And so when we look at this, listen, it's a tribulation. Listen, in the Jewish wedding, the first thing that happens at the Father's house is the family have a feast. And there's a feast that takes place with the whole family. They have a humongous feast going on. You know how long that feast lasts? Approximately seven days. How long is the tribulation? Seven years. I say we're going to have a time for seven years of tribulation in heaven. It's a number of completion. At the end of, these, uh, of this feast, right, this is when the vows are exchanged. And when this feast is over and the vows are exchanged, you know what the next step is? The next step is the bride and groom, they consummate the marriage. They go consummate the marriage. They become one flesh together. Amen? 
So what are we doing while we wait seven years, tribulation? <laughs> Listen, we know that as believers we are not appointed unto wrath, but salvation. We will be in heaven participating in the marriage supper of the Lamb. In heaven with our Savior, feasting for seven years, happy are those called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We must know Jesus. He has already sent the invitation by how? By the way of the cross. And whosoever will come, can always come. As long as we're alive, this is an invitation for us all. For every person. That's why it's so important for us to get out there and share it. I'll tell you, in Matthew 16, 25, Luke 9, 24, Mark 8, 35, For whoever wishes to be saved, to save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses, whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 11, for the scripture says, Whosoever believes in him will not be disappointed. 1 John Listen, 4.15, whosoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Acts 2.21, it says, and it shall be that everyone, which means whosoever in the Greek, whosoever who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Luke 9.48 said to them, whosoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whosoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. In fact, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Mark 8.34 And He summoned the crowd with His disciples and said to them, If anyone, that anyone in the Greek is whosoever, wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. In John 4, 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him, whosoever, shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in a well of water springing up to eternal everlasting life. And then John eleven twenty five twenty six. 26. Jesus is talking to Martha. Very pointedly, he's talking to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone, and everyone, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked her a question. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, church? Does God know who's going to be saved and who's not? He's a sovereign God. He knows absolutely who's going to be saved. He doesn't point him out to us for good reason. He wants us to share the message of the gospel. It's his purpose that all of us would come to knowledge of truth and be saved. All of humanity. And I want you to remember that. The whosoever's of the world will come. They don't accept it. We can't help that. They won't get saved until they accept Jesus as their Savior. Amen? We believe that. It doesn't eliminate us from sharing the story every chance we can. There was a little boy one day who was lost. 
This little boy was lost. He couldn't find his way home. And he began to cry because he was so lost. A stranger saw the little boy crying, came up to him and tried to comfort him. And he said, what's wrong, son? What's wrong? The little boy said through a flood of tears, he says, I can't, I can't, I can't remember where my house is. I can't find my way home. I'm lost. Wanting to help the man ask, is there anything near you, right? Is there anything near your house that you remember? The boy thought for a moment. He said, there's only one thing that I can remember. There is a building near my home with a cross on it. The man knew exactly which cross the boy was talking about. He took the boy by the hand. He walked him to the church. The building with the cross. When the boy got to the church, (laughs) he knew exactly how to find his way home from there. Amen? Amen. When he found the cross, he found his home. The cross is how you have to come. You've got to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to believe that he shed his blood to wash away your every sin stain. And you've got to ask him into your heart. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, there's never been a time in your past, never been a time where you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart. This may be your time today. Love to see you in that great number. I love to see you not be in the tribulation. I love to see you with all of us that are saved. Arm in arm, shoulder in shoulder. Man, maybe prostrate together on the ground, facing the Lord Jesus Christ and worshiping Him with everything that we are. Because that's coming. That's for real deal coming. But if you've not given your life to Jesus, you won't experience that. In fact, the Bible says the wrath of God is going to abide in you. I don't want you to go through the wrath of God. I don't want you going through seven years of tribulation. Today is our day to be saved. Today, this very day. We don't know if we're going to live to be here for the tribulation. I don't say it to scare you, but if it makes you think about your life and where you would spend eternity when when your heart stops and your breath is gone, and so be it. Listen, get saved today. Know Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Don't leave out here without the assurance that Jesus is your Savior. He came, he lived, he ministered for three and a half years, he did many signs and wonders and miracles and this and that to prove who he was. And he died on a tree without, he had no sin in and of himself. He had no sin, but he became sin. He took your sin 2,000 years ago on his body and died on a cross and shed his blood, his perfect blood to wash away all of our sins if we would just believe that he did that for you and me. He did that for us. All of us, all of us have to come through the cross. And we have to turn away from all the garbage. We've got to repent, which means to change our, our mind, which changes our heart, changes our actions, changes our direction of how we live our life. 
with all your heart and live for Jesus till he takes us home to be in that eternal glorious place called heaven. Amen. So if that's you today, if you've never trusted Christ's Savior, I just want you to pray a simple little prayer. Not my prayer. No prayer can get you into heaven. But you can communicate to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him to come in your heart and he will come in. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know it. I've done this wrong, that wrong, all these things wrong, Lord. I ask you, Lord Jesus, come into my heart right now. Lord, there's so many things in my life I've done wrong. I don't even know how you can forgive me. But, Lord, I trust you with all of my heart. I give you all that I am for all of who you are. I thank you, Jesus, for taking my sin debt and paying the price paying the fine for me. Come into my heart right now, Lord Jesus. I receive you as my Savior today. I trust you with my life. Show me the way, Lord Jesus, and how to live it. And Lord, I want to serve you for the rest of my life by the way you teach me, Jesus. I praise you for it all. For it's in Jesus' precious name, I only ask and pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.